1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast, and this is your host, Will Cooper. On today's episode, we're going to be bringing on our executive editor, Mark Melitic. Now, Mark is an award-winning editor, journalist, and formerly he was with Bow Hunting World in Archery Business Magazines. Mark's a bow hunter, upland bird hunter, fly angler, and he does a lot of our content production, editing, and publishing for HuntStand. So what are we going to be bringing Mark on for? Now, Aside from getting to know Mark and introducing Mark to all of y'all out there, we're going to be talking how to plan for Big Woods public land whitetail. Now, this is a little bit unfamiliar territory for myself since I'm a Texas boy, born and raised, and so done a lot of that my whole life, but we're going to be bringing Mark on to talk today for different strategies, how to plan, what to look for, e-scouting, and a lot more. And so if you're wanting to learn about this, you definitely want to tune in. You don't want to miss out on this. And again, thank you to everybody for tuning in to this episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed, rate and review for us. It greatly helps us out. We really appreciate it. So again, thanks for tuning in, and we hope you all enjoy this episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. All right, everybody, we're live. Welcome back to the Hunt Stand podcast. And today we have our executive editor from Hunt Stand, Mark Melitic, on. Mark, just want to thank you for taking the time to hop on the podcast with us today. Well, thanks for having me, Will. Great to be here, man. Man, now, how long have you been working with Hunt Stand? <clears throat> ah, well, it's a good question. That's a good question. Um, as many uh, viewers, I guess, might uh, know, um, I started out with uh, digitally with Scout Look, uh, the Scout Look hunting app. And um, as many of you probably know, um, HuntStand acquired Scout Look not too long ago. So uh, that's how I became a HuntStand employee. So altogether uh, on the digital side of thing, 
it's been, oh, I'm in my eighth year. So nice. And, uh, yeah, before that, um, I had a long stint with, uh, with Grand View Outdoors, um, uh, as an editor of Bow Hunting World and Archery Business Magazine. So I was with those guys for 17 years. So, okay. Okay. yeah, I've been, in, been in the industry a long time. So you're an archery nut like me then. Oh, for sure. For sure, man. <laughs> so, Mark, I like to start out this podcast with what I like to call 30-foot tree stand view of the guests that we have on. So let's give the listeners a quick you know, 30-foot tree stand view of who you are, where you're from, and uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Yeah, so I'm the executive editor for Hunt Stand, and uh, boy, um, again, been in the industry for a whole long time. Um, Grew up in uh, Wisconsin, um, just south of Milwaukee, um, and that's kind of where my where my passions for uh, for hunting started. Boy, I was uh, as an as you might guess from an editor, I've always been a big reader, and and I was always going through my dad's issues of outdoor life, sports, the field, and field and stream, and yep. even back then, that's kind of where my my passions for for big woods hunting uh, started. You know, stories by freelancers uh like james churchill who lived up in far northeast wisconsin and he was a boy he was my kind of guy he was a bow hunter he was a trapper he was a predator hunter a deer and bear hunter mm-hmm. man he built his own log cabin i mean he was everything that i wanted to be so like uh yeah that's it's kind of how it all started for me but uh yeah and, and i always kind of knew even back then that i wanted to be um, a writer, a hunting writer, uh, an outdoor writer on, at some level. And it's, it's kind of funny now the, even the, these days I, I look back on it, even when I was in college, uh, I was like, uh, everybody's like, well, what are you going to do after college? And I'm like, well, back then, um, as many of you again, probably know that the Minneapolis area was, uh, was just a hotbed of, uh, outdoors publishing lots of different magazines. And that's where, um, bow hunting world and archery business were based back then. And, gotcha. and I told everybody, I said, boy, I'll probably end up in Minneapolis, uh, <laughs> in that area. And, and sure enough, that's just what happened. So kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, I, I could see it coming from a long ways off, man. That, that's pretty cool. So basically, you know, sounds like your dad's the one who originally planted the seed for hunting with you. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Um, he came from a big duck hunting family actually. Really? And, and yeah, they were just rabid duck hunters and they had a, a cottage on uh, uh, big Lake Puckaway in, in Wisconsin. And uh, back then, boy, there was so much marsh on that lake. It was just a, it was a duck paradise. And those guys really got into that. And of course the fishing there too. But uh man, my dad got started in bow hunting too. And he joined a sportsman's club and, uh, he started, uh, going to like target shoots with his, uh, bear polar LTD compound. If, if you remember that name and, uh, old school. Yeah. Old school. And I remember going to those target shoots with him and, uh, man, he, he was, he was pretty hardcore. He even built his own climbing stands. They were like, as you recall way back when uh, they had the baker climbing tree stand and he kind of my dad was a guy that 
man, if he could build it himself, he's not going to buy it. He's going to build it type guy. Yeah. Boy, I'll tell you what, he built just about everything and he even built his own climbers. Um, and at, and at some point he gifted me a bare white tail hunter compound bow. And, uh, that was at an early age. That was my first compound. But, uh, man, I'll remember when I got that bow, I couldn't even pull it back even at its lowest setting. (laughs) But I grew into that sucker and, uh, Man, it uh, it all came together at some point, and uh, yeah, just my love for bow hunting just continued. Heck yeah, man! And look at you now, man, getting to do it for work. So, aside from deer hunting, which we all love to do, you know what what other type of game do you enjoy chasing? You know, you like chasing after big elk. You a mule deer guy? What what does Mark like to do outside of whitetail? Well, I guess you know, living growing up in Wisconsin and 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 living in Minnesota right now, whitetails is a is a big part of it for sure. But mm-hmm. man, I I love the West. I've always loved the West, chasing elk and um, man, that's kind of one of my favorite favorite hunts to tell you the truth because it, it combines a couple passions for me, like uh, you know, that do it yourself backcountry camping and hunting. I, I just yep. love that when you can when you can combine those two passions. Um, but I like it all, man. I mean, again, uh, there's only so many days in the year, uh, as you well know, uh, when things are good and, um, but yeah, it, it's hard to cram all my interests in. I'm a big fisherman. I'm a, and, uh, man, if I could, uh, I'm still looking for my first moose. I, I need to get that done someday soon. Um, but man, I, there's every, I, I like to chase it all. Same here. Same here, man. So let's start diving into Big Woods Public Land Whitetail. You know, this is kind of unfamiliar territory for myself, uh, but I know this is something you're super passionate about. So I want to, I just want to, let's dive in, man. Um, You know, it's February at the time of this is that we're recording this. So, you know, this is a time of year where a lot of guys are, potentially getting new bows, new equipment. They're making plans for 2022. And this is just kind of that time of year where you're, you're prepping, you're getting ready. So obviously, you know, if you're a big woods, public land, whitetail guy, what does that process look like in getting started for Mark? You know, from a research side, e-scouting, let's, let's dive into it, man. Well, I'll tell you what, this is just, you know, February, January, February, that that's just the time to get started when you're talking about big woods. And, uh, you know, this all, all comes back to, you know, if you're a big woods, do it yourself, public land fan like me, um, and say you're new to the hunt stand app. Um, uh, if you find that sucker, you probably feel like you just hit the mother load jackpot because your scouting abilities are about to hit new heights. Yeah. Um, and, and comparably, Will, as you probably know, nothing even comes close to being as helpful for planning your hunts as the hunt stand app. And, and we're going to get into all that in a bit here, but you know, I've been a huge mapping guy my whole life. So my collection of topo maps and County plat books is probably as impressive as any, any you're going to find. Right. <laughs> I have always considered maps to be absolute necessities when you're planning a hunt and you really are trying to figure it out and get to the best hunting spots. I just always have. So hundred percent. Yeah. They just give you that power of insight, man. And, uh, you know, with, uh, uh, with an app, of course you got every map in North America in your back pocket. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So 
you can compare and contrast areas instantly and you can find those productive hunting areas and, and you can do it like right now. So what used to take days and weeks um, for the hunting app is taking just mere minutes. So what I like to do is you start with an area in a particular state where you have some interest. You got to start someplace. And then you use uh, that hunt stand, all the many hunt stand map layers. Um, and, and I'm probably looking for maybe the public land layer or the hunting lands layer yep. to focus that search a little bit little bit closer to the bone and, and trying to figure something out so um so, let me ask you real quick mark um you know before we before we get too deep we've got listeners out there that i don't think they've they may not have necessarily heard about big woods public land whitetail and i know there's going to be a question of you know what exactly is big woods i mean obviously we all know what public land but big woods what does that mean in terms for the listener that may not know that's a good question. Yeah. And, and, uh, that definition for me is probably, you know, those areas that just don't have any agriculture, you know, and, and that those take many forms, but, uh, those deer are not going to crop fields to eat. Got they're, it. uh, forward, they're foraging in the woods, um, for any number of things, but yeah, you're not finding those crops. It, it's just, uh, you know, it can be long stretches. There can be some fields and stuff, but it, those aren't, you know, crop fields. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's kind of my basic definition. And, th- and those can be, you know, anywhere pretty much in the United States. I mean, uh, you got the Shawnee national forest down in uh, Southern Illinois or whatever, but you know, for my purposes, I'm a upper Midwest guy and, uh, when I think of big woods, I think of, you know, northern Wisconsin, northern uh, Minnesota, you know, lots of areas of Canada, of course. Um, uh, but that's what I think of the big woods. Got it. Got it. So then that's like you're just saying, that's when hunt stand is super crucial when planning hunts for this. Oh, it really is. It really is. Um you know, and, and it starts too with uh, effectively reading maps once you've got them in your hand, right? And that that mm-hmm. kind of comes with experience. You know, the more hunting you do, the better you get at finding those hot spots on maps uh, that are related to the terrain. I mean, you, a lot of people talk about funnels and pinch points and edges. I mean, that's all; those are all valid areas, right? Elevation changes, benches, um, waterways are critical in the big woods and i learned early on that you know rivers and creeks uh, boy those are deer highways right oh yeah and so especially in the big woods they're using those continuously as, as as travel routes and you know recent slash slashes and cutovers in the big woods you know you're going to find those logging operations and man once those start growing back those are incredible bedding areas they're incredible feeding areas for those big woods deer uh by me where i'm at and uh, i do a lot of hunting in northwest wisconsin you know there's uh new growth aspens that have been planted after those cutovers and they're designed basically maybe to uh, to uh enhance the grouse habitat but of course you know they become deer magnets yeah um, and uh those are some of the my favorite areas so so when this time of year, you know, you're, you got hunt stand pulled up on your desktop and you're trying to plan this hunt for the upcoming fall. You know, what is the first thing that you're going to begin to look for 
when trying to find deer for this hunt? You know, one of the biggest reasons why you start this process now, there's a couple of them, but the more you know now about the spots uh, that you want to hunt, the faster you can get on those bucks uh, come come September, come the come the openers. Uh, yeah. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to establish a trap line of sorts of potential areas. Um, but what I like to do is once I figure out these areas that kind of look good, um, and again, I'm looking for those funnels, I'm looking for those pinch points that are natural and travel routes and things like that. But what you want to do is you want to get a list of those uh, as sort of sort of like your trap line. And then you want to walk those. You want to put the boots on the ground in my favorite time of the year for scouting, which is late March or April, right after that snow leaves. And Moy, I'll tell you what, that is the time to be in the woods because that's my favorite time to scout because all the sign from the previous fall is visible. I right. mean, it's all there for you, man. It's, it's so cool. You get the rubs that you can determine our last falls. You get the scrape lines. I mean, you're even maybe finding some sheds of, of some of the survivors while you're doing that. So mm-hmm. that's a huge, huge time for me uh, to be in the woods. And again, you want to be in those areas where you already think um, that these these are some good looking areas that I need to check out. But, uh, you know, my best hunts, my best big woods hunts have always started with those boots on the ground, uh, late winter scouting. Um, and, and what you're doing is, you know, mark that sign too. You've got the hunt stand app with you. You're finding those rubs. You can make a rub line or or follow it out. And my goodness, it's, it's giving you the, uh, it's drawing you a map to where that, that buck was hanging out, where he was betting at a certain time of the year. And, uh, that's just huge information for you. So, and, uh, you know, you're dropping those pins and your, your hunt stand maps, um, Maybe you're changing the color um, to uh, make those instantly um, visible for the stuff that you found this spring, right? So right. you know that that's all valid come come the fall. So you start to build those maps up in your app, and uh, again, it just it lets everything come together so much quicker in the fall. So like what are it. you looking for? Those big rubs, you know. I'll tell you what, a lot of people have a lot of different um, opinions on the size of rubs, but where I'm at and, you know, the the size of tracks and all that kind of thing. But, boy, I'll tell you what, in my experience, those big rubs don't lie. Um, You find those big, you know, four, six inch diameter uh, on up. Um, Those are big bucks. Those are bucks that I'm looking for. to hunt and uh that big sign doesn't lie in my experience so now when you're when you're doing this late winter scouting and you're talking about getting boots on the ground um and you're looking for bedding areas you're looking for sheds you're looking for rubs and you're looking for all this different sign uh are you really concerned at all about blowing these deer out or just you know obviously i I think they'd come back but you know you're not worried about blowing up the area too much i'm not because you know uh maybe uh those uh deer are not even there i mean I, i'm not sure where they are at that point but um uh, a lot of this is rut sign um mm-hmm. to tell you the truth you know i mean and, and 
those deer are going to be there when you want to hunt. Uh, but who they're probably not even in the area at that point. Um, I'm not worried about that at all. Not at that time of the year for sure. Right. So in these big woods, you know, you don't have the luxury of cornfields, bean fields. You don't, you don't have that luxury. So aside from, you know, creek bottoms, uh, waterways, saddles and everything, pinch points that we're talking about from a browse perspective or a food source, what are you trying to find to maybe hone in on for these deer? You know, outside, that's a good question, but outside of, you know, some of the more obvious stuff, um, you know, uh, acorns are always, are always great early on. If you can find, um, isolated stands of, uh, you know, that those are always good starting points beyond that, you know, I, I'm not a big fan. Again, I I'm looking for, um, travel routes, stuff that there is going to funnel that activity, those deer, mm-hmm. um, you know, despite what they're eating or, or browsing on, because it, it can be so varied in the, in the big woods. And that's probably one, one area that I guess I, I am less concerned about. I like to, uh, to hunt those travel routes and, uh, you know, once you, you, you establish where those, those rub lines are and things like that, I'm, I'm, I'm hunting those areas where I kind of know a big buck exists and is living. Um, not a, not a too concerned about, you know, the food. Gotcha. You know, one of the things that I want to, I want to ask you, I know some guys do this and some don't, when you, when you've got those boots on the ground, you're looking for these trails, pinch points, and you're walking. Do you like to turn your tracker on, on hunt stand and walk these? So that way, whenever you just, you just go on a big hike that day, you go walking around, you're walking down these trails, exactly where these deer have been walking. And then when you leave that afternoon or evening, you go back home and then you pull up hunt stand and you can see your tracks. Does that help you when determining stand locations for the fall as well? You know, I haven't done a whole lot of that to tell you the truth. It's a great aspect of the app that, that allows you to do that for sure. Uh, I certainly would recommend it. Um, um, but I, I'm more in the mode of, boy, I'm, I'm trying to cover as much area as I possibly can. Um, you know, everybody's got different, uh, situations. I'm trying to maximize my scouting time yeah. and just trying to cover huge areas, uh, which can get a little bit, uh, convoluted in the spring, especially late winter, spring, when that snow has just left. And I'm just trying to cover as much area as I possibly can. Uh, so that's a little less, uh, impactful to how I do things, but Mm -hmm. like, like you said, I mean, that, that's a very valid, uh, strategy if you're looking at a, a, a smaller area, I guess. Gotcha. Now, are you a blunt, you like putting ground blinds, like pop-ups when you go into big woods, are you liking hang on stands, like your lone wolves and everything, or are you a saddle guy? Well, that's another good question. And, and, uh, you know, right from the start, um, I have been a tree stand guy to tell you the truth. Uh, you know, gear is critical for how I like to hunt. And for me, lightweight stand systems have always been a very critical 
part of how I like to hunt because in a lot of these public land areas, uh, yeah, you, you, you're basically taking down your stands after the, after the day is done and you're bringing it back. So you're hanging and hunting and coming back. So a big question for me in the past has always been, well, how do, how do, how do you transport that? And in the past, uh, you know, I've uh, built my own tree stand, specialized tree stand pack, uh, just to be able to be more efficient. Um, and what I did is I used a, you know, a freighter type external frame type, uh, backpack frame. And I mm-hmm. attached some, some nylon straps to it and some buckles that can hold not only your stand and your climbing sticks, which I really like to use. Um, but also maybe a hook for your backpack too. And, and because there was really at that time, and we're talking, you know, 15, 20 years ago, there really wasn't anything on the market that was really, uh, that served my purposes, um, that I could find was really efficient enough. Um, currently one of my favorite packs for this kind of thing is, is Sitka's cargo box pack and yeah. you can easily uh, carry your stand and your, your climbing sticks, which I really like. Okay. Um, you know, uh, you mentioned saddles, and I think for me, this is uh, this is something that I really wanted to dive in a little bit more. I, it was a little, uh, I, I've been uh, slow to jump onto that saddle situation. I've used a, a little bit in the past. Um, I was really hoping to get a little bit more saddle uh, research in last fall. Still looking for the best systems. I think they hold a lot of promise for how I like to hunt. Yeah. Um, in my, in my, uh, I guess, brief um, exposure to saddles, what I can see is, you know, early season, they are just, you know, the thing to do, I think, because you got lightweight camo on, um, you know, you, you're trying to move as fast as you can and, and uh, as far as you can in some cases. And uh, boy, they'll let you re- really range out there, of course. And um, you're just less encumbered when you're in, in its early season. I, one of the concerns I've got with saddles is once you get later into the season, you get those bulky clothes that I wear, you know, a lot um, and just moving around with that. And last year I started uh, just getting into the self filming thing. And that was another thing I had to carry. So I was just trying to make everything as efficient as possible. So I stuck with my tree stand system instead of doing kind of the research that I wanted to on saddles. But Hey, mm-hmm. again, in the future, I'm hoping to, uh, one of my goals this, uh, this winter and spring is to, uh, to determine what, what are some of the best systems possible for saddles and, uh, and then, uh, use that heavily this fall. So I'm excited about that, man. I got to tell you, I used, I picked up a tethered this past year, uh, one of their saddle, kits and uh you know there there are instances when i went to colorado where i came across wallows but there just wasn't a great spot to sit on the ground but of course you know colorado there's plenty of aspens plenty of tall trees to climb up and i had wished i'd had a saddle then but i had also wished that i had it when i went uh hunting in nebraska the first week in november during the rut that we were set up in some ladder stands that they were just 200 to a hundred yards off of the travel path to where these deer were going every morning that had, I had a saddle, I felt that I could have gotten in on them much easier, but I think 
I really enjoy them. Um, I, I think you would definitely like them as well. Uh, just how light they are and just the capability it allows you as a hunter to just go up in almost any tree to easily adjust on the fly during any hunt. So they're, they're pretty dang nice. No, that's awesome. Uh, that's great to hear. And again, I, I, I've seen these uh, used by several people and, and recommended by several people. And again, I'm hoping to really dive into that uh, whole hog this year and, and really mm-hmm. give those a, a good try. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited because, again, it just plays into exactly what I'm looking for uh, in a big wood situation because, uh, yeah, you are covering in many cases lots of ground. Um, and, you know, the lighter you can't get light enough gear. I mean, yeah. Right. That's, that's true. Yeah. So. So back to the so we we talked about e-scouting you know getting into these big woods public land deer and let's talk i want to talk a little bit about the winds and thermals you know there's some areas that are pretty flat and there's other areas that you've got lots of drainages ridges big saddles drop-offs things like that just depending on what part of the country you're in for lack of better terms but you know, let's say you can't get your boots on the ground, right? Like, let's say I'm going to come up to your neck of the woods and do some big woods hunting with you, but I'm down here in Texas. It's hard for a guy like me to, you know, sneak up there once or twice to do some preseason scouting. So what would you tell that guy there in terms of e-scouting and looking at winds and thermals, how big of, how big a part are the thermals for the big woods hunting and how do you determine winds as well? Um, you know, I do a lot of, uh, you know, it's, it's a tricky deal. It, it always is. Mm-hmm. And some of these areas you're just going to have to, uh, you're just going to have to go by ear and, and hunt them and see kind of how those, uh, those thermals are reacting. Um, there's really no other way at, at times. Um, yeah. But, you know, you like to hedge your bets. So I, I do a lot of hunting in big uh, river valleys, right? And they're all They're going to have those sort of steep drop off sometimes uh, okay. around them. And, you know, so some of the first times uh, that I'll hunt them, I'll try to stay as high as possible, you know, and just play those winds that you're going to find on hunt stand. Um, you know, those are going to lead the way um, always really, uh, to give you some kind of a direction. Would you say that those river valleys give you a pretty consistent thermal and wind? Like you're going to have fairly consistent thermals and winds with those, like you're talking about. Again, if you're up on top, the higher you are, the better, I think, you know, I mean, um, and then, yeah, you're going to see those, um, the thermals drop down, uh, in the evening, which is, you know, prime time in a lot of those situations and they, and they can be consistent um man i'll tell you what it, it, it can be frustrating at times though and again i every spot seems to have its uh its own little intricacies that you can only learn by hunting it but um that's for yeah sure. i mean it, it's always a different difficult situation but again you, you i like to start out a little bit higher and then depending upon what, you know, hunt stand is saying on the, on the direction, uh, that'll give you that edge a little bit. Um, and then you can fine tune your location a little bit as you see exactly what's going on, um, Mm -hmm. in your particular situation. All right, Joe, we're going to interrupt this podcast real quick, just to 
take a quick second to thank some partners of HuntStand that we've been working with for quite a while now. So we just want to give a quick shout out to WorkSharp, the knife sharpening company. We also want to give a shout out to Alps Outdoors, exceed your expectations. So these are some partners that we've been working with a while now. And so we just want to thank them for their support of HuntStand and all we do over here. But we just wanted to take a quick second to interrupt this podcast. But now we're going to get right back to it. Gotcha. So aside from e-scouting, boots on the ground, what else is Mark doing to prep and get ready for these big woods public land hunts in the fall? Well, I mean, staying in shape is always is always a, a good help because, again, like I, uh, like I mentioned, uh, I'm always looking for – it kind of brings up the discussion where – there's kind of two schools of thought too, when you're looking for these big wood spots, Mm -hmm. um, lots of guys say, Hey, you know, you don't have to go deep, um, to, you know, get into great hunting and you don't have to uh, go deep to get into some, some really big deer that a lot of people walk by, you know, that's going to happen sometimes for sure. Um, and those, you know, big bucks are where you find them. Right. I mean, yeah some are always just going to be in areas that they are just for, for whatever reason, they feel comfortable in a certain situation. But in my experience, um, going deep away from the crowds is always going to be a better situation. I mean, most of the vast majority of the time you're going to find deer that are less pressured, a little less on edge, um, but more importantly, you're not going to have somebody, uh, come in there and blow one of your setups, which, you know, I, I really try to avoid at all costs. So I'm always going to try to be, go in a little bit deeper. And so how, how do you, how do you really avoid, um, you know, the pressure, the hunting pressure, the weekend hunting pressure in my experience, you got to put a major barrier between parking areas and hunting areas. I'm always looking for waterways, you know, some of my biggest, um, and most valuable pieces of, uh, big woods hunting gear are waders, hip boots and canoes. Really? Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you can put a waterway between you, um, and the major parking areas, um, and, and your hunting spot waterways seem to just freak people out even a even a stream that's re- that you could probably wade up to your knees and i, I have many of those areas um guys just don't want to cross those most guys just won't go through that hassle because they have to bring that extra gear along you get over there suddenly you're into territory that 90 percent of people would even consider so I am, I'm a big advocate of, uh, of hunting around waterways. And even if you're crossing, say a major lake to get to the other side, yeah. um, where it might be remote and there's hardly any access, you know, guys could certainly walk around that lake if they wanted to, but how many are going to put forth that effort to get to the other side without a, without a boat? True. Very few again. And uh, again, you're, you're, you're just trying to isolate yourself and, and get into areas where um, there's just less hunting pressure. 
It's Man, huge for me. I, I didn't even think about water before you said that because I was going to ask you, you know, how many miles are you going and how far are you going back? Because that's, you know, just being a, a big game Western guy myself, um, it's always how far can you get back there? And it kind of never crossed my mind to think about, you know, waterways, lakes, rivers, streams that you got to get across. That's that's a pretty big takeaway right there. That's that's pretty key. Again, it's one of my go-to strategies. Um, I've literally worn out hip boots just crossing, just crossing streams for hunting. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of my favorite uh, spots is it's probably it's a relatively big uh, river. Uh, it's probably 70, 80 yards wide yeah. where I'm crossing it. But you Pretty know, and you size. look at it, yeah, yeah, and you look at it, and you're thinking well, there's got to be some hugely deep water between here and the other side. I'm not going to do that. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, it is only up to my knees. Um, not a huge lift, but nobody else really wants to try that. Very few people. What other kind of little golden nuggets like that, if you will, do you have up your sleeves when it comes to Big Woods public land hunting like that you want to share with us? <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, that's, that's one of the big ones for yeah. me. And, and when I look at, you know, when I grab hunt stand and I'm looking for a new place to hunt, um, the, the biggest part, you know, you, you might go to, uh, some of the layers that, uh, show access points and all that, mm-hmm. you, you know, uh, I'm always looking for those isolated areas that are going to take that extra, extra effort to get to. I mean, that's, that's kind of where it starts for me. I mean, that's where I want to do my scouting. Uh, I, I just feel so much better about the whole situation. Again, I mean, between that and, and one of the biggest tips, again, is, is those rivers and creeks being funnels for local game activity. And where you get where you, in a situation where maybe a creek intersects a, a larger stream, mm-hmm. now you've got, you know, several different travel routes that are coming in there. Those are kind of the X's um, that I like to, uh, to look for because to me that that's an instant potential hotspot. I think everybody listening right now needs to take some notes on that. <laughs> you know, um, for sure. Because again, that's, that's just been so consistent for me, you know, uh, other than that, other great ones for me are, uh, Oh, areas where, Big Woods marshes and things like that. I mean, uh, you hear this one a lot, but beaver dam crossings mm-hmm. in those marshes um, where it can be, you know, in a wet year, getting through that swamp is is pretty much crazy. But it seems like those uh, those larger bucks really like to uh, get down to those pinch points um, to cross those big stretches. And most often those points are going to have a a beaver dam situation where they can uh, cross. I've seen that many, many times and great stand sites. If you can get just the right situation there. So, you know, we're talking big woods and everything. I guess a question I have, and this is probably just ignorance on my part, but I guess you also need to look at state regulations, but do you camp back in any of these spots as well, or you're getting out at night each time? Well, um, camping is certainly a a possibility. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, as a bull hunter, probably more, um, you know, I'm lucky enough to have a family cabin 
that I have access to in my favorite big my favorite big woods areas. So in those situations, actually, I'm yeah, I'm coming out every night. Uh, can you camp? You know, the uh, the situation uh, with scent and bow hunting is so uh, so critical that yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get a shower every night if I can. Um, is it critical? That brings up a whole nother situation. Um, one of my favorite all-time big uh, big woods hunts is the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness in uh, north, far northern Minnesota. And you're canoeing into these areas. And, of course, you're camping at that stage. Um, but, you know, what's, what's super nice is, and there's no competition in, in my in my experience, when you're back into these areas in the boundary waters, you're basically hunting Canada without an outfitter, which to me is a little slice of heaven. Oh, heck yeah. I'm going to have to remember that. That sounds like a pretty, pretty sweet spot to get in there. So it obviously it sounds like you're probably camping in on stuff like that. Absolutely. Yep. And that's, that's a, a hunt that's very critical with gear. It's an adventure. And it's an adventure, and I and I've done that hunt several times, and it's the absolute best big wood big woods hunts that I would uh, recommend for anybody. But you know, it's uh, it's a commitment um, for sure to get into that situation. Uh, gear is so critical, um, timing is critical. You know, with the boundary waters, as the hunting starts getting good, it can freeze up at any time. Yeah. So, you're back in there and all of a sudden, you know, your lake gets frozen. I mean, it's never, it's never happened to me, but, uh, the edges of the lakes have certainly started, uh, freezing. Um, we're talking about late October, early November, and it's a great hunt to combo up, uh, say a bow hunt and a rifle hunt, Mm -hmm. uh, in the same hunt. Um, and I've done that with friends too. Um, but again, that that's uh, boy. Again, that's one of my favorite favorite hunts: the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness in far northern Minnesota. And the situation there is it's very similar to to where to any big woods hunt. And, and to do really do that hunt well, I think you have to commit to going in um, to scout in probably april um late april is when the snow is going to go out there and again you're seeing all that sign um from the previous fall and the nice thing about the boundary waters is you know you're you're not hoping like in most areas of maybe northern wisconsin or minnesota that that buck didn't get shot um during the season what you're hoping is it didn't get killed by wolves um, yeah, or a severe winter. And if you don't have a severe winter, um, yeah, there's a really good chance that buck is going to be there um, running those same same areas come that fall. And, I, and I've run into that too. So that's a really, really exciting hunt for those reasons. Um, you know, your only competition out there is really the wolves and the weather. Having said that, uh, of course, uh, there have been situations where severe weather has just can just decimate the local deer herd up there. And yes, it can. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm talking about early 2000s. There was it, it was just a great time to be up there. Um, 2003, 2004, 2005. Um, big bucks running around constantly um, everywhere. Great sign, and then you know a bad winter strikes, and you go up there, and and I've had this happen where it was, uh, yeah, it was it was a barren wasteland with just tiny buck sign and you you know you you see that and uh yeah all that hard work of getting in there goes for naught but you know that's part of it too and your research should tell you that yes they they had a severe winter and there probably is some serious winter kill but you know i'm i'm a bow hunter man i'm always uh optimistic you you only need one right so there's always a few that get through uh, but at the same time, yeah, those, those heavy, severe winters can really, uh, lay those deer low. Yes, they can. Now, another question I have for you with all this, are you utilizing game cameras heavily? Are you going out and dropping cell cameras or are you just going in and dropping some, letting them soak for a couple of weeks, couple months, and then coming back in and picking them up? Um, increasingly over the last several years I have, I mean, you got to watch your, your, your state regs, yep. um, and exactly know what you can and can't do with game cameras, with trail cameras. Um, in a lot of areas they are possible. And, and again, I have used them, um, to great effect. Um, but I, I can tell you in the past, uh, uh, they haven't been a huge part of what I do. Mm-hmm. in the big woods. Um, uh, you know, I like to, I like to figure out the sign and, uh, see areas that, that look very promising. And, and I know that, well, you've heard this many times, trail cameras aren't going to tell the whole story and, you know, uh, all the time. And, and a lot of this is rut sign too, you know, I mean, a lot of these areas that I like to hunt are not going to be super productive until, uh, that late October time frame that to, uh, mid November, um, you know, when, when the rut's kicking in and those deer are traveling and they're moving. Right, um, right. so if you can, if, if regs, uh, do allow you to, to find those areas or, uh, possibly big bucks when, uh, earlier in the season that that's a super feather in your cap of course um if you can get those uh, and, and know where that that home that home core area is uh for a couple big bruisers that that's a huge huge uh advantage for sure love it what kind of advice would you give to somebody uh before they head head out to chase whitetail on public lands in the big woods you know what what's what's going to be the biggest advice, you know, whether that's two, three, four different points, well, what are you going to give that guy or girl that's looking to do this? Well, I mean, you got to, first of all, you, you got to figure out what, what you're in the game for. Um, and one of the biggest things for me is the fact that I'm hunting in the big woods. I mean, I just, I love the big woods, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I could be, um, chasing bigger deer or i guess deer with more inches on the top of their heads elsewhere um but for me 
uh, where I'm hunting and how I'm hunting um, is huge. So, man, uh, again, I like everything about the big woods. And a deer or not, you're always going to play the chess game. You're always going to run into some, um, and you're you're going to be in the game if if you know what to look for and you've done your you've done your homework and scouting. You're always going to be in the game. Uh, you're not always gonna. It's not always going to come together for you, and then, yeah. and you got to be okay with that. I think um, it's not it's not a high percentage success area. It just isn't. You know, the deer density isn't there. Um, so many different factors. Um, the, the nutrition, you know, it just isn't there. Uh, again, to consistently turn out those top end racks. I mean, it certainly can. Those bucks certainly uh, do show up um, and they're there, uh, which is, you know, again, part of that great chess game. But that is the biggest one for me. Uh, if you're going li- to no, like where you're hunting, love where you're hunting um and it, it'll make your whole experience um so much better for you so will once you determine uh the big woods is where you want to be some of the other tips that i would add would be uh you know don't forget your calls from uh from opening day of the season to maybe october 20th or so here in the upper midwest don't don't forget your grunt and bleat calls um they are they are critical for uh, for positioning, you know, passing bucks and just getting them to come those extra few yards is what I've seen, you know, and especially bleak calls. I mean, they've seemed to be, you know, they're so non-threatening, but man, uh, buck will come through and just be inquisitive about that. And so uh, I'm never without those two calls for sure. Okay. Um, but from about November or October 20th on until, you know, the mid November or whenever the rut is tailing down. Um, I also add a rattling system. So I'm, I'm caught carrying those three calls and in the big woods, again, all, all three of those calls have, have saved my bacon many times. Um, what, which one do you t- uh, tend to lean on heavier than the other? You know, for a lot, for a long time, you know, the grunt was my go-to uh, all pretty much all season. And, you know, it is such a universal call and you can make that aggressive. You can make it less aggressive. Uh, but um, in the early season, now, I'm seeing so many uh, good responses to the bleed call. I mean, because that is the ultimate in non-aggressive calls, right? Yeah. I mean, you just can't hardly scare a deer with a bleed call. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when I see a passing buck, uh, pretty much at any time, that's probably the one I'm going to start with. It's some type of bleed call and, uh, then go, then maybe go to the grunt. Um, and after that, you know, when they're out of range and you can't see them anymore, I wait a little bit and then, you know, depending upon how I feel, uh, I'll try that aggressive rattling system. And, uh, you know, if the, if they're intrigued at all by that, they'll be coming running in on that one. So the, again, those three calls are just my go-tos. I always, always have them, uh, close by again, the rattling system from about October 20th on, um, the grunt and bleat all the time, all the time. Yeah. So, 
especially again for public land. And, you know, you've heard that rattling can be a no-no on heavily hunted public land. That, and, and for the most part, I'm going to agree with that. If you overdo the rattling, that's probably not going to be good, but there are spots I'll only rattle once or twice uh, shortly after say first light, if it's a nice calm morning or whatever, and that'll be it. I'm not going to revisit that call again, unless I get, you know, really desperate, but, um, that's worked for me on a couple occasions on big wood, buck, big woods bucks. And, uh, you know, um, I, and I like a nice little compact rattling system. I don't usually take full on antlers with me, but, um, you just like to take a rattle bag. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, actually the one I use a whole lot is, uh, the pack rack from night and hail. Yeah. yeah. And that, I don't even know if that thing is being made still, but, um, <laughs> goodness, uh, I like the compact nature of that thing and it sounds great. And I have called, you know, top end bucks in with that thing. I mean, serious full on booners. Um, serious. yeah. Um, that's, you know, that's been in some of my honey holes in Kansas, of course, where the quality can be crazy, but yeah, that, that little guy has proven itself time and time again. And I just love the fact that you can just throw that in the pack and you're not taking up uh, hardly any space and uh, you're not really giving up uh, effectiveness at all over even, you know, full on regular rattling antlers. Heck yeah. Oh. So heck I need to get me those. In fact, I just looked it up real quick while you're saying that they're still made my friend, you know, and that does not surprise me because of how effective that is. Uh, you know, I, I know I think night and hail, uh, as far as uh, some of the calls that they do made, many of them have been, uh, you know, suspended. But, man, that's one I would never get rid of ever. It's just too good. Just too good. I'm definitely going to have to add that one to the deer hunting arsenal. So I would recommend it. Uh, another another uh, thing I would uh, focus on is just me. Uh, remember to cache your, your hunt areas in hunt stand. Because, you know, the definition of big woods where I'm at, it's uh, remote lands. You don't have that service typically, but if you cache that hunting area, it's so nice to be able to, you know, make yourself, uh, see yourself on the map, making your way to your stand or whatever. Uh, man, you just cache those areas and uh, you can access uh, those maps and it is so handy. And once I figured out that that was possible, man, that, that opened up a whole new avenue to me as well. Yeah, Cause people are always saying, well, apps are great, but you know, what, what happens when you don't have any service? Well, there is a way around it. Cash your, cash your maps. There. So Unstand offers that. It's awesome. There is a way. Heck yeah. There, there is a way. Make sure you got um, plenty of storage on your phone. <laughs> well, that, that helps. That helps for sure. Yeah. Um, another, another tip would be don't get lazy, you know, um, especially when I work so hard to get back to some of these areas, like I said, where maybe we're crossing a waterway or whatever. And, and what I mean by that is stay all day, stay all day in some of these areas because you're only bumping deer um, when you're coming back, you know, after the morning hunt. And then you, you know, if you want to go back there, you're going to chance to bump deer again. I mean, Staying all day is tough, and, and if you can't do it, I would recommend, um, you know, uh, and it, well, especially if the wind changes, I will also say don't get lazy. You, you need to change then, right? So 
if you got a saddle, that's, that's pretty easy. Um, even in the compact, uh, you know, uh, hang ons that I use and with sticks, it, it's not that difficult to switch your stand. Um, yeah. and, but, but you need to do it right. Um, you need to, you need to hunt smart. So, um, but a lot of guys I see, they're trying to, they, they get back and they, they want to get in for lunch or whatever. Again, starting from about October 20th on, you just, you, uh, it's so beneficial to have those all day hunts. I know it's hard. Bring oh, some, yeah. bring, bring some lunch, you know, bring some food for sure. Cause you know, that's the first thing that's probably going to drive you home. Yep. Um, but pack, pack, pack some food and, uh, it'll go a long way. Um, so those are, those are a couple of the, the other tips that I would say, um, have helped me over the years. And when you're doing the big woods thing, I like it, man. Great advice. Um, so a couple of things I want to talk to you about too, is, you know, hunt stand, we've got a lot of great things in the workforce coming down the pipeline in 2022 what are you excited about for this upcoming year and is there anything that you can or that you'd like to share about hunt stand moving into 2022 um you know there's just so many great uh features uh of hunt stand um and boy uh, so many that i depend on uh regularly i'm gonna throw out the uh the property lines feature, which just continues to be a game changer for somebody who's involved with public land hunting and, and knowing those boundaries and trying to find those little areas of public land uh, that a lot of people don't go to and, and don't frequent. Um, I can never get enough of that feature so that, you know, that's, that's been with us for a while now, but boy, it's just continuously one of the things that I look for all the time. Big time. Um, yep. As far as what's coming down the pike, I mean, you know, I am just continually, continually amazed at, you know, the skills of our engineers and uh, just their just their ingenuity and uh, ability to keep us on the cutting edge. And there's always something uh, new coming down the pike. And, uh, you know, I, I'm one of those guys. That's not my skill set, man. I'm a word guy. Um, I'm, I'm an edit guy. I'm a writer. Um, leave me out of the, the technological side of this app, but man, I love playing around with it. Same here, man. Same. Well, Mark, man, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, sit down with me. I know you're busy as heck, you know, getting things done. And so I know we brought some really good information for, Big Woods Public Land Whitetail. So I just really appreciate you and want to thank you for hopping on the podcast with me today. Absolutely, man. Um, you know, shortly here, I'm right in the middle of of gathering some gear for our upcoming field tests. And I would, uh, you know, invite everybody to, to jump on huntstand.com in the next uh, couple months here and see uh, what's going on with our compound bow field test with our uh, broadhead field test uh, man i always enjoy doing that kind of thing and uh you know what uh my goodness uh, every year it seems like there are products uh that just stand out uh and they surprise us uh stuff that you probably wouldn't even think would be um 
you know, just standout performers. And it's just great to see how that all comes together. But I would just uh, hey, hold off on buying uh, some of that new gear, the, your new bow or your new broadhead until you hear some of the some of the results of our field tests. I love it, man. Well, Mark, thanks again for hopping on the podcast. I know definitely going to get you back on here. You know, we're definitely going to talk more, get you on some of the field note Fridays that we're going to be launching here soon. So just want to thank you again for hopping on the podcast and uh, see you on the next one, man. Thanks for the opportunity, Will. I enjoyed it. Take care. Shoo! There you have it, everybody. Another end to another great episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. We just want to thank Mark for coming on and letting us pick his brain, ask a ton of questions, and helping me get a little bit more familiar with this Big Woods public land whitetail hunting. Never done it before, but after talking with Mark, I'm trying to figure out how I can do that this fall. And hopefully, y'all were able to take some of this information and apply it to your planning process if you're doing this for the first time, or even if you've been doing it for a few years, hopefully you're able to take something from Mark and apply it to what you're doing. So we just want to thank y'all again for tuning in to the Hunt Stand Podcast. If you haven't yet, make sure you go on over, subscribe, rate, review, Spotify, or Apple. We greatly appreciate it. It helps us out a lot. And if y'all have questions for us, things y'all want us to talk about on the podcast, send us an email, podcast at huntstand.com. That way, your voice is definitely heard. I'm always checking out our social media outlets, YouTube, and other places to see if I can scour the internet to find some questions that y'all may want us to talk about. So you want to make sure your voice is heard, email podcast at huntstand.com. That way, we get your questions and we can talk about, talk about them here on the podcast. So again, y'all, we greatly appreciate y'all tuning in to the Huntstand podcast, and we'll see you on the next one. Offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at Ooh. that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. In Wild Country. Rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.